May your will be done in this place. Lord, I'm excited to be here today. God, you have fed my spirit. You've encouraged me. Lord, I pray, God, that your word would stand above everything today. We would decrease knowing that you are the increase. You are the greatest. The greatest. You are the one solitary in all eternity true king. Yet, you're our Savior. You cared enough. You loved us enough to come and give your life for our transgressions. Lord, may we offer up our praise today. You're worthy of everything good, everything great, because of you. I pray your word will change us today. Change us this week. That we would be so fired up. That we would not just hope and pray. But God, we would go out and bring others and compel them to come in this week. See children's lives eternally change. Change the culture. Change the community. Because we know you are capable. Because you're our king. Lord, may your will be done today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Man, I'm excited. We'll talk about announcements later. Let's just worship. I do, uh, hold on one second. I do have a quick video, real quick. I know a lot of y'all know about BBS, uh, and a lot of y'all may not know what we're doing. Uh, but since it's tonight, I just want to give y'all a little synopsis on this video. Get you cranked up, and ready to roll. Adventure. And all this fun is centered. 
direction. Take your first step in your journey off the map with the VBS 2015 Jumpstart Kit. It has all the essentials you need to begin planning your adventure. This summer, let's see guys our ultimate guide for life's journey off the map. Right, I'm ready tonight to learn the rest of the words of that song because all I know is we're on a journey. Whoa, see? Whoa, there you go. We're on a journey off the map. So be here tonight. Either participate or help out. Um, and let's just uh, pray that PBS makes an impact for the kingdom uh, this year. So let's uh, continue to sing together. Uh, but offer this heart of God 
um, completely to you. And it kind of looks at worship and you know, it says, you stood before creation eternity in your hand. You spoke earth into motion. Uh, I sold out a stand. And it goes on that you stood before my failure and carried the cross for my shame. My sin weighed upon your shoulders. Now my soul is stand. And then it goes on to say, so I walk upon salvation. Your spirit alive in me. My life to declare your promise. My soul now to stand. So it gives us, it talks about creation. Uh, we see God's creation. That should be enough uh, to make us worship. Uh, but then from there, um, he saw our failure. Um, and he paid the price on the cross to save us. Therefore, another reason that we should worship. And then as we walk through salvation, we walk the walk with Jesus Christ daily. Um, and see everything that comes with that. Uh, that's another reason to worship. And uh, whether you're here or not today and you know Christ or don't know Christ, you can see uh, creation and you can see uh, everything uh, that God has created and you see that it comes from His hand. And I pray that you see that and I pray that as you, as you hear these songs, I pray that as we dig into the Word, uh, that if you don't know anything about this Christ following stuff, I bet you'll realize what it's all about today. I so thought you could experience um, the walk of salvation and His Spirit alive in us. Because He's worthy of worship. Uh, he's worthy of praise. Um, and so, through this song, the next song, and the Word, and the offering, and everything that we do today, uh, let's just worship Him.
celebrate it today. But it's not our desire at this moment uh, that before we leave uh, that we would stand <coughs> with our arms high and our heart abandoned with our souls surrendered completely to you that's where you long for us to be and I pray that that's our desire that that is where we would be uh, not just here today um, but as we walk throughout every day um, and trust in you every day, worship you every day, um, just love you with all we've got. Lord, I just pray that um, everything we do, uh, everything we say, um, everything that we give uh, would be honoring to you. Um, whether it be through tithes and offerings or giving of our time, Tonight, as we <clears throat> minister through VBS, I pray that everything that we do as a body would be to glorify you, uh, lift you up, would point to you. I pray that uh, Eastside would uh, be a light, uh, continued light in the community. Um, that not just uh, meets together a few times a week, but a, a body that lives Christ out wherever we go. Lord, I just pray that you would just, uh, just help us just to worship through the opening of your word. Your word is powerful. Your word is truth. Um, your word uh, molds and shapes who we are. And I pray that that takes place in this building today. Let us not have the opportunity to learn about you and to learn who you are and to um, worship you through your word pass by. Uh, let's, let us take it flippantly but have our hearts open and our minds open uh, to what you would have us to say, have us to hear. Uh, we love you uh, and we worship you in your most precious and holy name we pray. Amen. <laughs>
prayer this morning. That the Lord would just shine His light in this place that we can uh, we can see where He wants us to go and be what He wants us to be and do what He wants us to do. Uh, if you can't tell, I'm excited about Bible school. I love vacation Bible school. I was talking to my, my buddy Mark this morning and he said, man, that's the part I miss about being a pastor. And he said, you know, working for the Georgia Baptist Convention and being an interim, I get to see a lot of stuff. He said, but I miss that. He said, I bet the sanctuary is all decorated and all. I said, oh, yeah. And he said, I just miss vacation Bible school. Well, I'm excited for vacation Bible school. And our theme verse is out of Isaiah 30, 21. It says, and your ears shall hear a word from behind thee, saying, This is the way, walk ye in it. When you turn to the right hand, and when you turn to the left. This is the way, walk in it. And our theme is journey, or the title is Journey Off the Map. And we'll look all week, we'll look at Daniel most of the time, but then we'll look at his three buddies. And we'll see the life that they lived. They didn't have this drawn out 12-step program for how to live. But they had God. Well, there's someone we see later on in the New Testament that basically is like Daniel. And he's like those other three Hebrew boys. And his name is John the Baptist. And so I want you to turn to Luke chapter 3 with me this morning. And as we have said in Vacation Bible School, it says, Journey off the map. Sounds like most men, but we're not going to look at a map. So, world's round, we'll get there. And so we try to figure it out. But one of the greatest tools that I, I, I love my smartphone is... The GPS on I love my GPS. Man, I can't tell you how many times it has rescued us and be able to get around. One of the worst places I've ever had to drive around is Orlando. I don't know why it is, but the way the roads run in Orlando, it's just you can't find where you're going. And so I can look on that, I can put in where I'm wanting to go, and it'll give me my path. And it'll even give me alternatives if it's very far distance. I love it. Well, the GPS, you know, stands for Global Positioning System. It's space satellite guided where it beams up and beams down. And it shows us all the places. You ever went over there and looked around at cool stuff like that? The uh, Area 51, places like that. You never done that? Come on. Go on there and look at the street places. That's, that's the cool stuff. It's neat to be able to do that. But you know, I want to talk about this one, the Believer's GPS. If we're going to journey off the map, it would help to have something along the way. But it's not the global positioning that we're looking at. In God's Word, in John the Baptist's life, there was the GPS of God's plan for salvation. God's plan for salvation. And so I want to look at this, this plan in Luke chapter 3. John the Baptist is a very unique individual, isn't he? 
And we're going to look at that as we go. You see, I want us to look first at the time. It says in verse 1, Now, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, Herod, being patriarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, patriarch of Iteria, and of the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, the patriarch of Abilene, and Annas and Caiaphas, being the high priest, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. Now, why go through all that patriarch and Iteria? And I, I practiced the word so I wouldn't mess them up. Why even bother with that? Because Luke was very descriptive. Luke wanted us to understand what was going on in everything when he told the story, told the narrative. And so we've got to look at the historical time of what was going on. And as I read this and explain to you the time, it'll sound very familiar to you. First of all, I want you to notice the government. There's two brothers mentioned in this first verse. Herod and Philip. Now our dad was pretty famous. What is he famous for? His name was Herod too. Herod tried to kill Jesus. Their daddy is the one that sent out the whole decree to have those kids killed. That's why Jesus spent almost two years in Egypt. We forget that little part of the story sometimes. That's the whole deal about Moses. We talk about Moses and the bulrushes and all that. Moses was a type and shadow of the coming Savior. Jesus did the same thing. God provided for him. But it was that wicked father. You see, the time we see a government that was carnal, ungodly government, and through Rome and, and the other uh, worldly governments of that day, we you see Herod's sons, and we know what came if you've read the story at all. John the Baptist didn't really, he, he cared, but he wasn't impressed. Let's, let's put it that way. John the Baptist was not starstruck. John the Baptist was the kind of person that would never ask a famous person for the autograph because it didn't impress him. It just didn't impress him. And uh, so he wasn't worried about famous or important. He was respectful, but what he was worried about was pleasing his God. And during his day, remember how John the Baptist's life ended? Lost his head, didn't he? But he lost his head for the Lord. You know why he lost his head? Because we know that Herod had married his sister-in-law. And in that, John the Baptist said it's not right. It's not right biblically. It's not right morally. It's not right socially. This is jacked up. You're not to marry your sister-in-law when your brother's still living. That's just, it ain't right. They were divorced. And so, she didn't like John the Baptist calling her out in front of everyone else. And so when it was time for her daughter's birthday and all that, and said, don't ask him uh, for John the Baptist's hand. And that's exactly what happened. You see, it's a very wicked, carnal government of the day. Church, I'm here to tell you, we ought to vote. We ought to support biblical candidates. Christians must be active in the public arena and stop allowing the world to tell us 
take your Christianity to the church house and lock it up and don't let it out. As long as we keep doing that, they're going to come take it from here. But with that being said, we cannot wait and depend on government to bring about change and revival. That's God's people's job. But God's people ought to be in government. And when they're a godly king, the Bible says the people will prosper. But he said sin is an approach to any nation. We must realize we've got to get back to God, church. But John the Baptist was facing the same kinds of things. That was the time he was living in. That's the government. What about the community? They were just unaware. How long had there been silence since the last prophet? 400 years. 400 years, God, and it wasn't silent now in the way of just absolutely nothing. God still worked, okay? God didn't quit working, and there wasn't a cease of God's presence on the earth, but there were no prophets. There were no prophecies after Malachi. I mean, it just shuts down until we see this man walk on the scene. You see, John the Baptist, John the Baptist was a little bit of both. He bridged the gap. Now, I'll get to this in a little bit, between Old and New Testament. The community was unaware. They had for 400 years not heard an Elijah. They had not heard of Daniel or Samuel. They had not heard an Isaiah or Jeremiah for 400 years. And so they became kind of unaware. They became dull. They still had synagogue and temple worship. They still did some of this kind of stuff. And some of them would even go back and look over the Torah, the Pentateuch. They would look at some of this stuff. But they had become very complacent in their daily lives in reference to God. Sounds a lot like our community. We live in some of the most religiously saturated communities of the world. And yet there's a dullness of hearing because we've become complacent. Because there's a church on every corner. There's a chicken in every pot. Everything's good. Everything's grand. Everything's great. And so we become complacent to who God is and what God can do. They had become almost unaware of any movement. Look, the problem is that so many evangelists way before me had said, such as A.W. Tozer, Vance Havner, and others, said if the Holy Spirit were to leave most churches today, we would never even notice because of the way that we're carrying on God's <coughs> our business. We do the things the way we want to do it. What makes us feel good, what appeals to our ideas of who God is. That's the communities we live in today. We want a little splash and a little dash of God, but we don't want it so much that it overpowers our taste for the things of the world. Look at the religion. It says, Annas and Caiaphas being the high priest. Now, what's wrong with that picture? Does anybody know what's wrong with that picture? God said there should be one high priest. So, no, now we have a dual authority. Well, who decided to do that? Well, if you read history, 
it sounds like one of them had become kind of older and dull. And so they kind of pushed him aside. And though he was still ceremoniously number one, there was a power behind the throne, if you will. And so they served together. We didn't want to upset anybody. We want everybody to get along. That's what was going on at the church house. I know the church. Church didn't start for about four years later. But for the house of God, that's what was happening. It was an uncaring, complicitous idea of what they were doing. It had become a place void of the presence of God. Because it was man's agenda doing man's ideas in man's time. Church, if we're going to follow God's GPS, God's plan for salvation, it cannot be our ideas. It cannot be in our time. It cannot be in our way. There is still only one name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. And it is not our choosing when we'll be saved. It is God's doing. You see, God is sovereign. God is over all things. Don't you think that when you get ready, you'll go get you a dash of God. Because listen, God called the man who tried that a fool. If you wait and you try to do God in your time, it'll be too late. He's God, you're not. Don't, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. This whole idea that we can have a little church, a little of the world, we got one foot in, one foot out, we can do whatever we want, nobody say anything to us, that was the whole idea of what was going on here. The kid, the, the ruler didn't want to hear anything, community didn't want to hear anything, and the high priest sure didn't want to hear anything. That is where we're at today in this world. Then we see the prophet. I love John the Baptist. I'm telling you, in a society that's wanting for heroes, teach your kids to look for their heroes where they can be found in the Bible. I love sports. And I got mad when he first said it, but Charles Barkley said years ago, he said, I'm not a role model. Well, he is. But you know what? He was right a moment. He's not a good one. And he said, oh, I'm just a ball player. Well, he's right. One who can't pay his gambling debts because he can't gamble very well. He's crazy and obnoxious. But if that's where we're looking, look, man, I watched the NBA game. I don't even watch the pro basketball hardly. That's probably one of the greatest games ever played over there. I mean, where the two studs of the entire league put on a show there. It was unbelievable. That was the overtime, all that kind of stuff. Man, I love Steph Curry. I've been a Steph Curry fan for a long time. I love the way he conducts business and his faith and other things like that. I love Russell Wilson, the quarterback for the Seahawks, because of his faith and how he speaks out about the Lord being the Savior of his life, Jesus Christ. But you know what? Somewhere along the way, they may let us down. Just like any other man that we claim is hero. So be careful. But John the Baptist ought to be our kind of hero. Our kind of hero. Why? Because he did not conform. He didn't comply. He didn't care. He didn't do it arrogantly. He didn't do it to prove a point. 
But he didn't dress like everybody else. He didn't eat like everybody else. He was separated unto God. He didn't comply. It didn't make sense. Why would he do that? Why would he want to be so different? Look, he wasn't just trying to be different. He just wanted to be what God wanted him to be. Be who God's called you to be. You see, he preached, as I said, the Old Testament and the New Testament. He was both the last Old Testament prophet. He said, oh, you're in the Old Testament. You're thinking in the division of the Bible, of the actual books. But if you think and you look at it uh, according uh, to theology and according to time, we know that the Old Testament is the Old Covenant. We know that that's the law God gave Moses and that whole time. But that when Jesus came, so did grace in a, in a more formal way. And we see that change from Old Testament to New Testament. Old Covenant, New Covenant. If you read Hebrews, you'll see that full picture. John the Baptist was in both. He was both the last Old Testament prophet and that he prophesied of the coming Savior. And then also, he was a New Testament preacher in that he preached repentance of the gospel, in, in the gospel. Repentance of sin. See, he was the man of God. He was separated. This was his upbringing. I mean, from his birth, remember? His full of spirit from the start. Right? That's a cool story, isn't it? When he heard the story, in his mother's womb, that he was fixed to have a cousin, and his cousin was going to be none other than the Messiah. When Mary told Elizabeth, John the Baptist leapt, leaped in his mother's womb. Right? It's never too early to teach your kids about Jesus. You don't know what God's got planned for you. And I'm going to tell you, as we begin to plan everything out for their lives, and how we're going to give them scholarships, and how they're going to be famous, and how they're going to have more than we did, and how everything else, are we going to give them Jesus anywhere in there? Are we going to go back to making Jesus the priority? All that stuff, I'm not against all that kind of stuff. You know that. I've lived here long enough to know that you know. My kids play sports, we do all that. But somewhere, We've got to, and look, I failed. But I have to remind myself to remind them that Jesus is the most important thing in their life. Get your nose in the book of life. Get your nose in the word of God. Pray and seek his face. And whatever happens, if you play ball or you operate or you stop traffic, I don't know what God's got for your life. I can't tell them. I like to, some parents. They have jacked up the situation royally because they're trying to live vicariously through their children. They want their children to be everything they wanted to be. Now, they'll never tell you that. Some will, they just don't know how to say it. But the truth is, if you look at their life, they didn't have much of Jesus to start with either. The parents, Elizabeth Zacharias, raised that boy in the right wrong. They raised him in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. They raised him that God comes first and foremost above everything else. And so from his very conception, you ought to be praying for your children. Pray 
day that the first time God draws them, they will surrender their will to Him and let Him come into their life and save them. You need to pray now. Now. Pray for your children that they would find a godly, they would not just find, but discover the spouse God has for them, if God has them. It's not too early to pray for that. You start waiting until they're in a bad relationship and trying to pray it, you may have waited too late. So before they bring home a serial killer, you know, bring home somebody you're going to have to keep up because their mom and dad's always getting them up and they can't get out of the house. Look, before you get into that situa situation where you put them on the prayer list because their life is sideways, living in sin, running from God and everything else, pray for them now. Then be separated unto the Lord. I got a real novel idea. Bring them to church. Don't let them choose. You pay for their cell phone, you pay for their gas, you give them a bed to sleep in. I don't care if they're 15, 16 year old, they're a kid. Stop letting them grow up too early. Tell them where they're going. They're going to the house of God. You say, I don't know if suck it up and be a parent. Lead them. Lead by, you know why we can't do it? Because some of us don't go. We'll go to Sunday school and come to prayer meet. We'll go to school. Oh, you went to Maryland. Now, look, you want to know why John the Baptist was successful? It's because his mother and daddy modeled their fellowship with God in front of him. They, look, you tell your, your kids to do as I say, not as I do. They're going to do what they hear. Look, just about every parent's been embarrassed by something their kids heard them say in private. And they didn't know any different. They said it in We need to set the example. He was separated in his upbringing. He was unique. He was uncompromising. Look, be different. That's fine. Be different. Be what God has called you to be in that difference, though. None of us want to fit into them. Oh, we want to know that we can't know them. We want to feel accepted. We want to feel respected. We want to feel important in our own little world. That's fine as long as it's what God's called you to be. And there's nothing greater than to be dead sinner, smack dab in the middle of God's will being everything he's called you to be. That may be a ball player. He may be a teacher. He may be a pastor. I don't know. I can't call that over you. I hate it when somebody tries because you have a faithful young man who comes to church and will pray in public. Most of say, you're going to make a preacher. Be careful. Don't tell people, don't tell kids what they're going to be when they grow up. Let God tell them, okay? God will do a whole lot better job than we can. Look, you need to be uncompromising in who you are for Christ. That means when you get around a certain set of people, you don't change how you act for them. When you get on Twitter and talk like the devil on there, but talk about Jesus in Sunday school, God hears your tweets. He, he may not follow you on Twitter, but he follows you. And he may not like or even reply to your comments on all the other social media, but I got news for him. He sees it. He sees the very intense, the dark places of our heart. Be uncompromising. Look, he was a man of God, but he was he heard the word of God. It says right here. 
The word of God came unto John, son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. Verse 2. It came unto him. You see, he heard the word of God. But why? Why? How, how can we hear from God? If we're so busy doing everything else in this world, we get so busy that our spirit's running 90 miles an hour, we won't, we're never going to hear from God. Some of the best times in life, honestly, now hear me, some of the best times is when you ended up in a hospital bed, or you've ended up sick at home, and there's nothing to watch on TV, it's 4 o'clock in the morning, and you're tired of it, you turn it off, you don't know what you're going to do, but you just know there's nothing that makes you feel any better, and all of a sudden you're smack dab in the middle of the presence of God, and you begin to pray, and you begin to listen, and you start hearing God, and God's speaking to you, and before long you forgot how sick you are, or even where you're at, and the fellowship that you have with God is so sweet, because you placed yourself in a position to hear from God. Now you don't have to be sick to hear God. You'd be sitting in the deer stand driving to work or anything else. If you've ever had a conversation with God going to work, you got to work and didn't really realize that you got to Huh? I get busy sometimes. I be so busy some weeks. I'm busy doing God's work and don't hear from God. You know what I'm saying? We used to be so busy being a good Christian that we're not a smart Christian. We don't hear it. John the Baptist, he didn't have anything else taking up his calendar. You know, he wasn't going to go play golf with all his buddies. He didn't have any friends. He just did it. And it didn't impress him much anyway. They say basically in life, anyway, you may have 1,200 people following you on Twitter. But I can, I can promise you, if you live to be my age and you still got one or two good friends, you've done well. That's the only thing that's going to stick with me the rest of your life. One or two. One or two. But there's one that stays closer to another brother. Right? Y'all yeah. see me on this? Yeah. Now I'm going to try to get done real quick because I know the nurse is tired. I hear it coming. But we're going to get done. This is important. Church, things are not going to get any better until we start following God's plan for salvation. I do what we want. You'll fill these pews up. People need the Lord. They don't need to feel better about themselves. They don't need just some positive reinforcement. They don't need some slick preacher telling them about how important they are. What we need is to tell the world they're going to hell without Jesus. But there's hope. There's help. And we must be the John the Baptist of today. He heard the word of God because he was sensitive. But he spoke the will of God. You can, and I'm not, because of time, I'm not going to read. But you can go to John chapter 1 and read how John, there was a man who was sent by God, who heard from God, and God spoke through John. And one who said, I am not worthy to even bend down and undo the laces on his sandals. I'm not even worthy. I must decrease that he must increase. Now I'm telling you, all of you are important. You're important to him or he wouldn't have died for you. But I got news for you. God wants you. He don't need you. 
was ridiculous. We're, none of us better than the other. I know because we were raised here or saved there or because of who our parents and all that kind of stuff is. I see it all the time on the Facebook, you know, all that other stuff, Father's Day, Mother's Day. Greatest mama ever, best daddy ever. And I keep thinking, that's sweet that they say it, they just haven't met my mom. You know, but my mom didn't need Jesus. My mom didn't mess up. I, I mean, look, they're not the greatest ever because they fall and falter and come short of the glory of God. Yet, they break, brought me up. I thank God for a Christian raising. But I understand something. They're not above reproach. There was a preacher I, I read this week who said, if your grandmama doesn't do it the way God's Word says do it, then your sweet grandmama is wrong. We need to understand he spoke the will of God, and that's not popular. But he said, just like those apostles did, it's better for us to obey God than me. Right? Be obedient to the Savior. And sometimes that don't feel good. Sometimes you've got to look your kids in the eye and stand up for the Word of God because they are wanting to skirt the line on some issue, and it's not going to make them your best friend. It's not going to make them your pal, but you've got to do it anyway because it's right. Sometimes you've got to do it with a brother or a sister or with a child or a mama or a daddy or a co-worker or a lifetime friend. The Bible will tell you something, but they won't like me anymore. Who cares? But the truth is, God's Word says they'll appreciate that more than a deceitful kid. The truth will stand when the world's on fire, church. We've had enough of telling people what they want to hear. We need to tell them what they need to hear. Which is the will of God. Now here's the whole purpose. The whole purpose. And he quotes Isaiah 40. It says, And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of Prepare ye the way. Here's the GPS. Here is the positioning. Here is God's plan for salvation. Prepare the way of the Lord. How do we do that? How do we preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sin? He said prepare the way. The Lord is coming. Prepare the way. Make His path straight. How do we do this? Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be brought low. And the crooked shall be made straight. And the rough ways shall be made smooth. I want you to look at a few ways we are to prepare for the way of the Lord. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. For His gospel presentation in the world today. And for His imminent return one day. First of all, He said right here to fill the valleys. He says, every valley shall be filled. What is this? The valleys can be symbolic in our life of no hope. This world's in a valley. Jugger. They asked, did a poll recently of Americans, said, how many of you believe we're still in a recession? And the, the largest majority, largest percentage, believe we were still in a form or type of a recession. And you know what the difference in a recession and a depression is, right? 
A recession is when it happens to your next door neighbor. A depression is when it happens to you. Well, there's a lot of depression in this world. There's a lot of no hope, no future. They don't see any hope. Everything is drastic. Everything is miserable. We've got to understand it is our job to fill the valleys with the good news of Jesus Christ. Prepare the way. How do we prepare the way? By filling those valleys of doubt and depression and despondency. You say, I don't know anybody like that. Well, you had to look around. You haven't asked any questions. You know why we don't? Because we're afraid they may tell us. And then you got to do something. I'm going to tell you something. You really love Jesus. You want to tell people about Jesus. It's dirty work. It's dirty work. It's hard work. It's not just, look, Bible school. I hope y'all geared up. Go home and get your math if you can. Because it's going to be busy. It's hard work. But I'm going to tell you, there is nothing on earth that touches Seeing a child look up into the face of their teacher and tell them they prayed to receive Christ. That they have met Jesus. They ask the question, there's nothing. There's nothing that can compare. And it's worth it, isn't it? Yeah. Really? I mean, this is our this is our desire for our lost community. That's the problem. But I know who God is. 
I know what God can do. Tear down the mountain, straighten the crooked. You see, we said we, we don't have any need. We're self-sufficient. We, we say no to God because life's too much fun. Life's fun. I know it is. The flesh loves to have fun. And the more sinful, the more fun. That's the wretchedness of our, our bodies that it craves. Our flesh loves sin. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. We need to straighten that crooked. And the only way to do it is not bash them over the head. Give them Jesus. Because here's the deal. People say, all right, well, I said this in Sunday school. I just can't do it because if I, I follow Jesus, I'll have to give up going to the beach, and I'll have to give up drinking, I'll have to give up uh, this, I'll have to give up that. And they start making a list of all the things they have to give up. I'm going to tell you, there's only one thing you've got to give up to follow Jesus. What is it? Sin. Sin. And, and the wages of sin is what? So the only thing you've got to give up is dying. Don't that make sense? Nicodemus didn't understand it either. When Jesus said, you must be born again. You've got to die to the flesh so that you may live eternally. All we've got to do is give up sin. Straighten the crooked. Pave the holes. We said, no way, it's too hard. Church is too hard. Leadership's too hard. Bible school's too hard. Revivals are too hard. Singing in the choir is too hard. Going to Sunday school, coming on Sunday night. It's too hard. It's just too hard to try to read the Bible. It's too hard to understand the deep things of God. It's too hard. I want you to understand that for the majority of the believers, they cram across the pond against the absolute despotism the King of England, who founded churches throughout North America, who planted faith in, in this country, for the majority were unlearned, ignorant men, much as they called the apostles. They did not have their doctrine in divinity and theology. They were just fly by the seat of your pants, Everyday commoners who love Jesus. They love Him. They love Him with all their heart, with all their soul. And they follow Him. You see, it's not too hard if we'll follow Him. And then I want you to see the plan. What is the plan? Simply this. Repentance or right. That's it. That's it. Repentance or right. But make no mistake about it. That loving God that we want to paint the soft pastel pictures of with the gentle hands is the same God that is holy that demands judgment. You see, you just can't have a, just a loving God. You've got to have a holy God. You can't just have a grace-filled God. You've got to have a God of truth. You can't have one without the other. You just can't. Because then it's bad theology. You have liberalism that's all grace, no judgment. You have legalism that's all judgment, no grace. That's 
the way the pendulum swings from left to right. But when the pendulum comes to a stop, it's dead centered over the Word of God. And it teaches us that by God's grace, He sent His Son to deliver us from our sins. But if we reject Him, we will die and go to hell because His death deserves our faith. His holiness is a man's our respect. You see, he said in verse 6, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. What does that mean? Does that mean everybody's going to heaven? No. It says all will see it. It didn't say all will get it. Some see God. They see God every day. They believe in God, but they don't believe on Him. You might be sitting here today. You believe in God. You come to Sunday school. You may even give some money in church. But I'm telling you, you can't impress God a little bit. Until you get on your face before God and say, Look, I'm a sinner, lost, without hope, headed to hell. And if I don't confess my sins and ask the Lord to come in and forgive me of my sins and deliver me from that judgment, I will die separated from God. We must call out in repentance because he said right here, all have seen. There'll be no excuses, church. We're not going to get there. They tried. He told us. There'll be those who said, didn't I prophesy your name? Didn't I cast out devils? Wasn't I real spiritual? Didn't I do all that church stuff? He's going to say, depart from me, the workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. There'll be no excuses. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. See, don't bring that fake stuff in here. Begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children and that Abraham. Now also the axe is laid into the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which brings not forth good fruit is honed down, cast into the fire. There will be no excuses and there will be no escape. Some people like to preach on hell so much because I believe they want them to go there. Maybe we do. Maybe we're more excited about the world dying and going to hell because a lot of times we'll just tell them that. We don't like it. They rub us wrong. They hurt our feelings. Well, you can just go there. But I'm here to tell you. God sent His Son down the cross. That's a pretty big love. Amen. If God loves this world that much, then we ought to love Him too. Because if you'll not forget you're part of it. We're not some alien group that's completely separated. That sounds like Scientology. No, we are saints that were sinners that are saved by the grace of God. And we must remember the plan, the whole plan of God. And it's a wrap. He said in verse 10, as they come, the song, listen. And the people said, what shall we do then? That's your invitation. What the people ask? What are we going to do? What are we going to do with this Jesus? What are we going to do with this good news of repentance, but harsh news of wrath? What are we going to do then? What are we going to do? 
Are we going to tell people about Jesus? Are we going to be different from the world? Are we going to come out and be separate, saith the Lord? Are we going to be a John the Baptist? And an un-John the Baptist world? You may lose your head for it. You may lose your job. You may, may well, I'm just going to tell you, you're going to lose friends. Can I tell you, after John lost his head, it haunted them a whole lot worse than it haunted him. He was in the presence of God the day, the rest of their days, literally drove them mad. Having taken the life of John. Because he was such a man of God. Church, the world's always killed the prophets of God. But it didn't stop them from prophesying. What are we going to do then? Are we going to serve, serve, sing, praise, preach, lead, teach, love the world, and tell them repentance? Or are we just going to throw up our hands and say, too long? No way. No use. I don't need God. If you need to come today and confess your sins and receive Jesus Christ your Lord and say, pray me and come in and forgive you. Come, I'll pray with you. Just come and tell me I'm going to be saved. I can't save you, but I'll be glad to pray with you. You need to come and say, I need to be baptized. Not that I'm going to be saved by baptism, but let the world know that I have been saved. I need to be proud of who Jesus is in my life. I need to join this church. I just need to pray. Whatever you need to do. Stand. Sing. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Your love makes me sing. Be bright.